How are we doing? Sweet. Uh, a whole five of y'all are doing great. Um, well, if y'all weren't here two weeks ago, I was up here. My name is Addison uh, with an A. I met Tyler in the front right before I came up here. And I was like, it's Addison. He goes, Madison? I go, no, Addison with an A, a little bit less girly, still kind of girly. And then he, and he laughed and he goes, my niece is named Addison. And I went, of, of course, of course your niece is named Addison. Um, well, welcome. I'm Addison. I am on staff here at Outpost. Uh, both of my bosses, Greg and Jake, are gone today. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, <laughs> I'm only kidding, I hope. Uh, let me pray and we'll dive into it. Lord, thank you so much for uh, what a gift it is to get to freely gather here today and worship you and talk about you and learn about you. You're so good to us. You love us. You sent your son to die on the cross for us and our sins. And so I pray that today we focus on you. Help me uh, teach your word, not Addison's word. And help me communicate your word clearly. We pray that we learn something and that we leave today thinking more about you and less about us. In your precious name, amen. Well, uh, when I was in eighth grade, okay, well, let me give you some background. I grew up in a school about uh, 120, 125 people in my grade, so similar to Cody High School. And in middle school, we all looked uh, up to our eighth grade science class because at the end of the year in our eighth grade science class, we had this project, and, and we called it the Bridge Project. And uh, what it was was you and a partner got together, and you spent about a month on this project. For a week, you would kind of be on a computer figuring out different models of bridges and all this stuff. And then finally, you would get a set of toothpicks, a certain amount of toothpicks and glue, and you would make a bridge out of these toothpicks. It was super fun. And then at the end of the month, we kind of get all the classes together and have a big party of sorts, and we would test those bridges out. And so I don't really remember how they did it, but we were in the gym, and you had your bridge on something, and then they like attached a bucket to it, and they put weights in the bucket that was attached to the bridge until the bridge snapped. And uh, the amount of weight that your bridge could hold was the grade that you got. So high stakes. Um, but here's the interesting thing about the bridge project, okay? Is uh, most of y'all, I'm going to assume, were probably like me. And in growing up in middle school and high school, your group projects, uh, the group that you were in was uh, kind of made to where everybody was going to be around like equal, if that makes sense. So you'd take like the smartest person and put him with somebody who maybe was struggling. Uh, that's a nice way to put it. And then you, <laughs> and then, you know, a few people in the middle, and then that's your group, right? And so you'd look and you'd be like, okay, all the groups are, uh, you know, about equal. Uh, that was not the case with the Bridge Project. What they did, and it was kind of funny because everybody knew what they were doing, but they didn't say it. They literally got on the computers, they went, all right, top two, that's a group. Next two, that's a group. Next two, that's a group. And so on and so forth. And so you would end up, <laughs> you would end up with a few groups you're real confident in, right? You're like, they're going to do great. And then there's some groups that uh, uh, you were real interested in and in how they were going to do. Uh, 
<laughs> but here's why I tell you this, is later on in high school, I was friends with one of the kids who was at the top of the class. He was really, really smart, and we were talking, reminiscing about our old middle school days, and he told me, he goes, actually, Addison, that month of the bridge project was probably my favorite and the best month in all of my middle school years, and so I asked him, I was like, why? And he goes, well, I was so used to all the pressure, one individually, of doing all this homework. This guy was a perfectionist. He put so much pressure on himself to make sure he was getting straight A's. And then if he was ever in a group project apart from that, he was like, I was the one doing all the work because I wanted it to be perfect. And then I started thinking about how I was in a group with him before, and uh, he did do all the work. And, uh, <laughs> and uh I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about what we're talking about today, because uh, my buddy loved the Bridge Project, and that was his favorite month, because all of a sudden he had somebody who was equally as smart, if not more smart than him, doing the other work. He didn't have to worry about the load he was carrying. He was used to having the team on his back, if you will. He was used to having all the pressure, all the work, and he told me, he was like, I actually like hung out with friends on the weekend. I was like... You'd probably do that anyways, buddy. You know, but, uh, he, he was used to carrying a heavy burdens, heavy loads, and then all of a sudden he had a month where he didn't have to. And I'm telling you this because today we're closing out our series in false gods. And the false god we're going to talk about today oftentimes puts us in a spot where we're coming into today carrying heavy burdens, heavy loads. We feel like the team needs to be on our back. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's uh, heavy uh, burdens of anxiety from work or heavy fear of failure or people pleasing or you're wondering what everybody thinks about you and if you're enough for everybody else. I don't know what it is. But we're going to learn today that, if you will, there's a bridge project around the corner. We're, we're, we were not meant to carry those burdens and carry those loads. And around the corner, there's God holding his hand out. He's saying, hey, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And the false God we're talking about that leads us into that spot, and I'm going to go ahead and say, is the most important one we have talked about because this is the one that comes before the ones we've talked about. It comes before comfort. It comes before busyness. becomes becomes before money. And the false God we're talking about is ourselves. Uh, we are talking about the false God of self today. Another way of saying that is pride. Uh, and before we dive into really what... Uh, the Bible says about this, I want to address a few things because as I was prepping for this message, a few things uh, were alarming to me. And I think what we've done in the Christian American church is taken the, it's not necessarily the idea of pride, but we've taken the word of pride and I think we've just used that as almost a catch-all type of word or a way that we can just say we're prideful and get out of certain things. And I think the effect it's having is that a lot of us don't even understand uh, what pride is, or maybe we could define it, but we don't really know the effects it has on us. And so maybe is, is pride that feeling that uh, you get after you do a job well done? I don't know. Is pride when you see your son do good in sports and you feel proud? Is that pride? And so before we go further, I want to define what pride is. 
pride is an elevation of self. Pride is an elevation of self, but I'd add to that. I'd say pride is an elevation of self where self not ought to be. Pride is an elevation of self, but here's the thing about pride, to be honest, is that we in the church especially have gotten pretty good, if not really good, at avoiding the fact that we have a pride problem and instead we put other labels on it. And so I've heard this a lot. No, no, I don't really know if I have a pride problem. I just have a fear of failure problem. Or I just have a comfort problem or a busyness problem or I have an anxiety problem or this is the one I hear the most. It's just hard for me to say no to things problem. You have a pride problem. We have a pride problem. And so how do we know if we're prideful or not? (laughs) The first question I'd ask you is, does it feel like you're just caring too much? I'd ask you, uh, are you quick to get defensive when you're critiqued or admonished? Do you realize that Christians should be like the least uh, uh, offendable people, right? Like, oh, Addison, you're a hypocrite. You're up there on stage saying all these things, and then you're going and living a different... You know what? You're right. I'm so sinful. Can you believe that Jesus died on the cross for me? Well, Addison, you're an idiot. I am an idiot, but look what Jesus did for this idiot. We really should be the least offendable people. Do you get anxious? Your anxiety might be a pride problem. Are you critical of other people? I can't believe they did that. Look at what they have done to that person. Do you notice pride in others quickly? Do you seek out others' approval? Are you insecure? Do you feel shame? Do you believe that you're worthless or that your sin is too much? We have a pride problem. All of those things are indicators that you're prideful. And and let me ask one more question. Are you a human? You're prideful. We have a pride problem. So we all struggle with pride, but the question is, what do we do about our struggle with pride? What do we do about this false God of ourselves that we so easily fall into this rut of believing we are going to be our own gods? And so that's what we're looking at today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter 5, uh, specifically verses 5 through Nine, and, and let me read that before we go any further. It says this, clothe yourselves, all of you. So uh, the beginning of chapter five, he's talking specifically to the elders of this location, of this church. And then real quick, he addresses the people who the elders are over, talking, telling them to obey them. And then this specific part is to everybody, okay? So clothe yourselves, everybody, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
And, and I want to acknowledge how many like Sunday school verses are in that uh, section I just read. Like there's a lot of, whoops, there's a lot of uh, verses in things we've talked about. Thanks, Jake. Uh, that you have probably heard that I just read, right? So the first being, uh, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's in Proverbs. Like, I've heard that so many times. And then we go to verse 7, right? Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares. I love that verse. I've used that in other messages. I've heard that so often. I've got it memorized. And then later, the devil is like a roaring lion. He's waiting for somebody to devour. Like, we've heard that growing up in Sunday school. There's a lot of Sunday school verses in here. Here's what I think we've done with this passage. This is what I've done until this week with this passage, is I've broken it up and I've taken nuggets and I've just kind of used them as tools as I go, but it's not until I think that I really looked through this whole passage that I realized what God is trying to teach us in this, and it's really, really beautiful, and I don't want us to miss it. I don't want us to miss it. So, let me start at verse 5. I'll read it again. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. When I read this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I was curious what that word opposes means. Like, what does it mean for God to really oppose something? And, and so I looked up the Greek word, and I'm not even going to attempt to uh, pronounce it, but I will tell you what that Greek word means. The, the word for opposes there is meaning, another way to translate it is in battle against. God is in battle against the proud. What does that mean? Well, let me, let me give it to you this way. Some of you parents are about to uh, understand this a lot better. When so I grew up playing basketball, loved basketball. I know it's funny because I'm short, uh, but I loved it. And, and every kid, you know, they grow up and they play in their backyard, and it becomes time where they need to play in a game. And so they're actually in a game on a real basketball court. And there's always a kid who gets subbed in, right? And he's all excited. His parents are in the crowd grandparents are in the crowd, and, and he's like really, really ready to go, and, and they give him the ball, and he gets the ball, and he looks up. He looks in front of him. He sees the basket. He knows what he's supposed to do, and then he looks under the basket, and he sees nine other people there, and he's like, I don't, I don't know about that, and then he turns around, and he sees the basket behind him. He goes, there's nobody over there, and so what does he do? He turns around, and he starts dribbling, and he goes, and he scores, and he's all excited. He thinks that everybody's going to be proud of him, and instead, he turns around, and everybody's yelling at him. The other way! Go the other way! He just scored for the wrong team. Here's what that means. God opposes the proud. That means some of us are coming to church on Sunday morning, youth group on Wednesday night, Region Monday night, community Thursday night, having somebody over Friday night, because that's what we should do as Christians. We're doing all of these things, but at the end of the day, we're doing it for ourselves. Maybe it's to get a good feeling that we're a good Christian or get approval from others. And it means that if that's you, you're playing for the wrong team. God opposes the proud. We got to ask ourselves, guys, 
you can do all this stuff, but are you playing for the wrong team? My fear is that some of us in this room are doing that. We're playing for the wrong team. But there's a second part of that, right? God gives grace to the humble. So we see a very black and white comparison, right? There's a proud that God opposes, but he gives grace to the humble. So what does humbleness, humility mean? Well, I looked it up in Google. It's not on the screen because it's Google. But the Google definition of humility says this is a modest view of one's own importance. I think that's pretty good. But here's what I'll tell you is whatever you define humility as, I'll tell you this. Humility comes from having a right view of God and therefore a right view of yourself. When you look at God and who he is and his power and his might and his goodness, and you'll start to realize how uh, depraved you are and how much you need Jesus. Apart from Christ, we are nothing. And when we realize who God is, we'll realize who we are, and that will bring humility. Look, salvation, if you think about it, starts with humility. You have to come to terms that you can't do it yourself but God can. That's humility. Humility comes from a right view of God and a right view of self. And here we see that humility is the antidote to pride. Humility is the antidote to pride. And what we're talking about is my first point this morning. Pride is the problem. Humility is our help. Pride is the problem. Humility is our help. And I've said this a little bit ago, but it really does come down to how do you view God? Do you know God? Are you thinking about God? And I'm not talking about just knowing the right answer. I'm talking about how do you really view God? I'm going through region right now, and I shared with my group, week one, day one of week one, there's a question on there, and it talked about, it, it asked, how does God view you? And I remember writing that, and I said, I know how God views me. I, I Look, I've trained, uh, I'm a pastor, I know the right answer, but that doesn't necessarily mean I believe what I know. And we have to ask ourselves, do you believe what you know about God? Do you believe it? Here's the thing. I talked about this in my intro. A lot of us think we have an anxiety problem or a fear of failure problem or a people-pleasing problem or a porn problem or a lying problem. We don't have a lying problem. We don't have a porn problem. We have a pride problem. You think too much of yourself and not enough of God. What we're doing is we're putting a Band-Aid on a deep wound. You don't need a Band-Aid. You need surgery. And then we're getting frustrated over and over and over again when our wound doesn't heal from the Band-Aid. We don't need a temporarily, temporary fix of our anxiety. We don't need a temporary fix of our comfort. We need a deep fix of our pride problem. We have a false God of ourselves. And Peter knows this, and this is why he goes to verse 7. He says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that's a great verse, right? Man, God cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him. But you should ask yourself, why does Peter say that? Because we are just talking about pride. 
We were talking about humility. And now we're switching to anxiety. How does that make any sense? Right? But Peter talks about pride and humility and then leads into anxiety because he realized that pride leads to anxiety. Pride is the root of all sin. And, and, and I love, I love that he says that. And really think about it. Like, if you're asking yourselves, how do we know that's true? Think about it. If you were, I, I said this example uh, to my students two weeks ago. And so some of you people are like, this is going to be a, a new age, a nerdy example. But imagine you were making a video game, okay? You were making a video game, and you designed the video game from scratch. Like, you did everything in that video game world. And you made, you know, the trees on the outside. You made the birds flying. I don't know, maybe Matthew 10, no bird can fall apart from your design because you made this video game. And then you have a main character, okay? Okay, so you have this main character, and you've designed his life. You know everything about that guy and what's going to happen to it. Is it possible for that person to get anxious? Would it make sense logically for that person to get anxious if you designed everything and you know his life? No. But isn't that true of what we do? If we believe that God is who he says he is, he's in control completely. Matthew 10 says that not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from his will. How much more does he love you? He's designed everything. Nothing is out of his control. He knows you. He made you. He knows the hairs on your head. But yet, we get anxious. Why do we get anxious? Because we don't believe that God is in control. And we start grasping for our own control. We're doing something that we were not designed to do. And it's pride. And, and here's the thing. It's not just anxiety. Pride is the root of all sin. An inflation of self is going to lead us into destruction. C.S. Lewis says this. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. My second point is that pride leads to pain. Pride leads to pain. I like to think about it as this. How do I know that I'm in pride? Well, how many of y'all know what a lazy river is? Okay? <laughs> I'm going to guess that everybody knows what a lazy river is, and some people just didn't want to raise their hand. What a lazy river is, is uh, it, it's... It's like a, and usually in a water park or something like that, and it's this river that kind of goes in a circle or a loop, and people get inflatables, and they just kind of lay there. Usually it's moms, and the moms take the kids to the water park, and they say, you know, go have fun, and then the moms just sit there like this, like, this is the best. Uh, I grew up 10 minutes away uh, from a water park, and there was a lazy river there, and my buddy and I uh, would always... Uh, like to go in there and race and all this thing, all the stuff. But the interesting thing about Lazy River is that you don't necessarily see the current. It's not like the Shoshone River. Like you're not seeing rapids or anything like that. You can't really tell it's moving apart from the people that are moving on top of it. Okay? So you go in that Lazy River, I've tried it, and, and you try to like stand and not move, 
And that current is way stronger than you think it is. And your legs are shaking, and you're like trying everything, and, and it's just going to take you with it. Here's what being and living in pride feels like. It feels like you're in the lazy river and you're turned around against the current and you're swimming as hard as you can. And 10, 15, 20 minutes go by, you look up and you're about 10 yards from where you were. That's what pride feels like. Listen, guys, Jesus tells us he is the way, the truth, and the life. But yet we go, no, 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 I think that I might be the way. I might be the truth, and I might be the life. And we may not say that, but our actions are telling us that that's true. Living in pride feels like we're swimming against the current, and it's because we don't make good gods. You know who makes a good god is a good god. But we try to fill that role all the time. Pride leads to pain. And you should be tracking with me so far and getting to this point and kind of going, hey, okay, I get it. Pride is the problem, okay? God opposes it, so that's no good. Uh, Pride leads to pain, uh, and we all struggle with it. What if we just stopped? Like, what if we just ceased uh, to be prideful, and that's the thing is that we're prone to pride. We have a sin nature problem, right? We have a sin nature. Sin is an action, but the reason we do those actions is because we're sinful people. Think about it this way. Like uh, back when I was in high school, I had a, a phone. It was an Android phone, and I have nothing against Android phones unless you're in group texts, but uh, that was a joke. Uh, Uh, I had an Android phone, and I was flipping through it, and it had some water damage, and it was cracked. And I would try to, like, take a picture of something. This was the last straw before I got a new phone. I was trying to take a picture of something, and and I was taking, I was pressing the camera button in the bottom left. And I'd press it, and then a different app in the top right would open. And I was like, are you kidding me? And so I'd go back, and then I'd scroll over, and I'd press it again. And guess what happened? The same thing over and over and over again. And it was the most infuriating thing. Like, I could not stand it. But the wiring of that phone was off. And the wiring of humans is off. Paul says it, Romans 7, right? I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. Romans 7, 18, right? He goes, I don't even, I can't even have the ability to do the things I desire to do. And that's us. Our wiring is off. And because of our wiring being off, we go straight to pride. We think a lot about ourselves. And it's not lost on me, by the way, that I'm going to finish this message all about pride and the false god of ourselves. And we're going to get in our cars here in however many minutes and drive. And by the time you get to the Pizza Hut, you're going to be thinking about yourself. It's not lost on me. We have a wiring problem, and it's leading to us uh, doing the things we don't want to do, which is being prideful. And that's why Peter says this in verse 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood 
throughout the world. Look, Peter understands that we have a sin nature problem, and that's why he's saying be watchful, and I love the imagery here. Satan as a roaring lion, and he is waiting to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his nature. That's who he is. And guys, listen, we're in a war. We just are. And it's not a war of guns, and it's not a war of bombs, but it's a spiritual war, and the war is for you, and the war is real. And there's a lion, our enemy, that is waiting for you to mess up so he can come and still kill and destroy you. Uh, I saw a clip from somebody this week that I thought summarized what I'm trying to say really, really well. And what he said, some of y'all conspiracy people are going to love this. Uh, What he said was, Satan is kind of like our phone because it's always listening. But here's the thing, it's true, right? Like my wife Bailey and I, if we have a conversation about getting a dog, which we're not going to get, don't worry, but if we have a conversation about getting a dog, and then uh, at dinner, then afterwards we go, and I'm on the couch, and I get my phone out, I go on Facebook, right? And I'm scrolling, and then all of a sudden Facebook's like, hey, um, for no reason particular, did you know that Tractor Supply has dog food? Look at this dog food, and then you scroll, look at this dog food, look at this dog food, look at this dog food, look at this, and you're like, that's kind of weird the first time. And then you go scroll a little bit further down, and then it's like, hey, did you know that Walmart has a dog bowl? Look at this Yeti dog bowl. It's so cool, and you're like, that is kind of a cool dog bowl. I don't know why I want it, because it's a million dollars, because it just says Yeti on it. And, And then you go, well, what about that dog bowl, and that dog bowl, and that dog bowl? No dog bowls? What about dog toys? That dog toy, and that dog toy, and that dog toy. And you're like, what the heck? Your phone's always listening, but that's what Satan does to us, isn't it? Oh, you're insecure about what people think of you. Oh, well, here's a comment your friend's gonna make. Oh, you're sad about not being in a relationship. Oh, here's a romantic comedy you can watch. Here's an Instagram post from your friend and her boyfriend. Oh, you've had a long, stressful week at work. Oh, well, here's a liquor store sale on the way home. That's how Satan works. And if we keep feeding him, we keep feeding this lion, the lion's going to get bigger in our life, and he's just going to keep coming back to the same thing over and over and over and over again. Are you feeding that lion? How are you feeding that lion? It's like a, I said this two weeks ago, but it applies, it's like a stray cat. You have a stray cat, and then you feel bad for it, and you want to feed it, so you put some food out on your porch. Guess what? That cat's coming back the next day, and you feel bad again, so you feed it again, and then you feed it again, and then all of a sudden, your kids are naming the cat, and that cat's yours. It's a pet cat. We're doing that with Satan, guys. There are some people in here that are feeding the devil day in and day out, and you don't think it's that big of a deal, but guess what? That line's only getting bigger and stronger. And the next thing you know, it's going to destroy you. And you're going to ask yourselves, how did I let it get that big? And it's because you fed it a little bit at a time. It's going to keep coming back. That's why we have to be watchful. We have to be sober-minded. 
That's my third point. Be watchful. Be watchful. That's how Satan works. And that's what we're doing. Stand firm in your faith. I love that it says, stand firm in your faith. Resist him. It doesn't say fear him. You're not to fear him. You're to fear God. God's way more powerful than Satan. Fear God. But be watchful of that roaring lion. And it's not just you. That's the thing. It's all of us. It's me. This week, it's me. Like, I had a crazy week. Monday, I'm sick all day. Tuesday, I work from home because I don't want to get anybody else sick. Wednesday, I come to work. Wednesday afternoon, I find out that I'm going to teach on Sunday. I try to figure out what I'm going to teach on. Thursday, I'm trying to write a message. I'm trying to do all these things. Then other things, Satan knows what's happening. Other things start popping up in my life. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, look over here. Look at this. Look at this. Does that make you anxious? Does that make you worried? I wonder what that comment meant. And, And then on Friday, I'm sitting there in that office right over there, and I'm trying to figure out, trying to type up a message and I'm so worried about myself, and I'm so overwhelmed and anxious about what I'm doing, what I'm going to sound like, all of these things, that, that I start, my heart starts beating a little bit quicker, I start to get uh, a little bit more nervous about all of these things, and, and so what do I do? Well, I just need a little bit more comfort, I need a little bit more of a distraction. Oh, I know what I can do, I can watch a TV series tonight, and I can get on Instagram right now and scroll through the reels, it's just real quick, but they, guess what, they add up real fast. And I just need to watch this sports game because it's on and I don't want to miss it. And I'm doing all of these things to distract myself, to give myself some comfort. At the end of the day, I'm doing that because I was not being watchful. I was feeding the lion. And guess what? The longer I do that, that lion's just going to continue to grow and grow and grow. And an action becomes a habit. We all do it. So we need to be watchful. He says this after, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist them. It's firm in your faith. I love that he says that. God gave us a gift, guys. And that gift is each other. Right? That gift is each other. Galatians 6.1, I believe, Carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of the Lord. We have each other. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Don't seek your own desire. We have each other. What a gift it is to be in a community of believers striving for the same God, reminding each other who God really is so that we can Uh, continue to build humility in just not myself, but y'all as well. Let's do it together. We all have the same problem, but we all have the same help. So let's be a team and do it together. Proverbs 16, 18. Y'all are going to know this one. 
Pride comes before the pride comes before the fall. And that is true. Something I didn't tell you about my buddy um, who was smart, who did the bridge project, who that was his favorite thing, favorite month of his middle school life. Something I didn't tell you about him is that he went his entire high school life with a lot of burdens. He was a straight-A student, and so when he was working on his homework, he needed to do uh, and needed to get perfect answers. He needed his essays to be perfect. He needed his... uh, uh, his homework to be ideal. He needed to have the right answers on the test. And so he killed himself working on all of this school stuff all the time. He would miss out on practice. He quit some sports. He would work so hard he didn't have a life. He wouldn't hang out with friends. And all the while, he was carrying these burdens in his life, and he didn't know what to do with them. And so he started coping through other things and other ways, and he wasn't letting anybody know because they were sinful. But here's the thing. Three months before he graduated, I got a call, and he was crying. He said, Addison, can you come over to my house? Something's happened. So I went over there, and I learned that all of these things he was hiding, all his sin, he didn't want anybody to know, came to the surface, it came to the light, and all of a sudden, all the things that he worked so hard to get his straight A's, his honors, were in jeopardy of not counting because he might have gotten expelled. Here's what I'm going to tell you guys. Pride comes before the fall. And if we keep our pride in us and our pride's leading to all of these things, eventually the time is coming. I don't know if it's tomorrow, next week, in two years, three years, I don't know. But the time is coming where rock bottom's around the corner. I've experienced that many in this room have but you don't have to. We have other people to help us remind who God is, and when we have a right view of who God is, humility will start to grow in our hearts. So the opportunity is there for you. Look, God's around the corner. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. He's saying, please, come, let me help you. We don't have to do it on ourselves. We were not meant to do all of these things, carry these burdens, carry the anxiety by ourselves. God wants to help. He's helped me, and he wants to help you. We have that opportunity to kill the false God of ourselves and fill that hole with Jesus. Lord, you are so good to us. We cannot even start to understand your power and might and what your love looks like for us because we are just humans. Will you help us in this room who are struggling with the burdens of life that we're carrying day in and day out? Will you help us give it to you? Help us make more of you, understand you more, have a better picture of your sweet, sweet goodness and love so we have a less picture of who we are and our role in that. You are good and you love us. Help us believe that that is true.
precious name.